like at home, we gotta clean up after him. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thrilled to do it. It's good to have him here. So, ah, goodness. We uh, are going to begin this morning a new, a new series that will be, that will kind of lead us through and guide us through the next four weeks together. And the title of the series is, Don't Worry. It's a reaction they had in the first service too. Not don't worry, be happy, just don't worry. And um, if you find yourself from time to time, maybe even today, worried about health. Find yourself from time to time worried about family relationships, maybe your children, maybe your parents. Find yourself worried about job opportunities or financial realities and struggles. Find yourself concerned and filled with anxiety around life circumstances and other relationships then I hope these next four weeks will be for you. If you never worry, if you never face anxiety, if you never have any other struggles, any place, time, or moment in your life, then for the next four weeks, I got nothing to say to you. <laughs> but I'm going to, and I did have somebody come up to me, go, my husband never worries. I'm like, well... I wonder if he feels that way, but, but I think the, the truth is for, I think for most of us, if not all of us, we, we at least know that experience from time to time. And what I hope for us to do for these next four weeks is to look at both the promises and the practices, and that kind of has become the, the theme for me, the promises and the practices that help us face our fear. That God gives us to help us in those moments of anxiety and worry and maybe right where you are today to begin to, to stand strong in faith in the midst of that and to begin to allow God's voice to speak and his hand to, to guide and his strength to sustain in those moments. And so for each week, we're going to come back to our anchor. And our anchor is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It is the, the verse that we will read each week, and, and it is words that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. But the context at which he writes them are so important, because the words are challenging, and sometimes it's easy to dismiss. I know it's odd to say with Scripture, but we dismiss voices all the time because we think, well, whoever's speaking doesn't understand our circumstance or doesn't understand our reality. And in your moment, somebody may say to you, ah, don't worry about it. And you don't worry about it. You know, how can you say that? You don't understand what, what I'm going through. And I recognize how easy sometimes that is to say to other people, isn't it? Ah, don't worry about it. It's a lot harder to hear. You know, it's easier to stand outside somebody's circumstances and situations and say, ah, don't let that get to you, until it's your circumstances and situations. Then it's a little heavier. So, so Paul writes this, these words to the church in Philippi, and he writes them from prison. That's important. 
He writes them from prison, most likely in Rome. That's the most probable place of his journey that he is when he writes these words. He's longed to go to Rome. He's longed to preach the gospel in Rome and to the authorities in Rome. But he finds himself under arrest. He finds himself restricted and, and in chains. In fact, most likely he writes this, most historians state this, and theologians about 62 AD. We think he died around 64. He was martyred. So we're in the, the, the twilight of, of Paul's life, and I think Paul knows this. And so when you understand the circumstances, the words, I think, become significantly and incredibly more profound and impactful. And so this is what he writes in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now again, hear it from a man in prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And that's our focus this morning. Each week, we're going to, to use additional scriptures to highlight and to further strengthen our understanding of what Paul's writing here. That's why we're going to keep coming back to this. And today, it's that the Lord is near. The Lord, or do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord God, that we would open our hearts to your peace and, and your presence and your truth and the words that you speak. Lord, just meet us where we are here today in these moments. Inspire the words that are spoken and strengthen us in our faith. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you were here last week, I shared with you one of the things I am so grateful for, for you, is that you have allowed me, you've given me permission and, and room to be um, transparent and, and I hope authentic with you. I, I always have prayed, one of my foundational prayers is that the person that you experience in me here on a, on a Sunday morning is faithful and authentic to, to who I am, to the, the kind of conversations we'd have when I'm not on the, the stage, if you will. And sermons, very often, um, sometimes they come from places of strength. There are times that I will preach on, on practices and, and disciplines and truths that, that, I, that I read. I go, yeah, Lord, you've done this well in my life. Thank you. I, I am embody this, or I'm striving to embody this, and I'm nowhere near where I should be. I'm never where I should be, but, but I'm, I'm strong in these disciplines or practices. And, and I feel, sometimes I feel like I'm coming from a place of, of um, I would never say expertise, but certainly um, a, a depth of knowledge. And then there are times that sermons arise out of places of weakness, that sermons arise out of places of struggle and my own wrestling with, with God and wrestling with faith and, and what it means to, to walk with Jesus. And, and this is one of them. 
This is one of the, this series comes out of, out of my own struggle with this very thing of, of facing worry and, and anxiety, of, of, you know, kids that are in college that I, that, I, that I worry about. Not because they've done anything to give me worry, but because I'm a parent who cares about my kids and wants the best for them. Um, nights when I'm up at night because I'm, what's going on in the the church and how do I do what God's called me to do and what's the next thing for us and, and my own sometimes feelings of insecurities and anxiety and, and those moments of, of all kinds of things what's going and the world around us and the, the tensions and the struggles and the disasters that we see and side note keep Australia and Puerto Rico in your prayers both those places as the fires and the earthquakes lift those folks up in your prayers and we, we see these things and, and I'm not immune to the worry and the anxiety that circumstances of life can create. And my life ebbs and flows in those seasons, as does for many of you. And so when I read Paul in Philippians 4 say, don't be anxious for anything or be anxious for nothing in the message, the translation, the paraphrase version of the scripture that verse is translated, don't fret or worry. Don't fret or worry. Don't worry. That's where the, the sermon series came from. That, that, that phrase, don't worry. And, and I read Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He says something similar. He says, why do you worry about life's provisions? Why do you worry about that? The, the birds of the air have, you know, they don't um, um, sow or, or reap, but the Lord provides for them. He goes on to say, who has added a single minute to their life through worry? So Jesus says, don't worry. Paul is saying, don't worry. And I'm thinking, is that even possible? I, I, if that's the barometer, then I'm not even on the chart. Okay? I, I'm, just, I'm just not there. And, and I, I don't, I believe that, that, that God... And Jesus doesn't invite the impossible. I believe it is possible to have such a depth of faith that you can transcend worry and anxiety. I also believe that almost none of us achieve that depth of faith. So, so hear me say this. The, the point of this sermon series isn't to say, well, you come for the next four weeks, and at the end of four weeks, you won't ever worry or have anxiety again. <laughs> I wish I was that good. But, but what I believe is that God does give us the tools and the, through God's word, the, the, again, the practices and the promises that help us confront the circumstances and the situations in our lives that birth and breed anxiety and worry. Helps us to begin through the, the principles and the, 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 the tenets of our faith and the presence of God's Holy Spirit to begin to, to face and to live into those moments and to, to not be overwhelmed or overcome by them. Because stress and anxiety is prevalent and, and permeates the world around us. I, I read a study recently that said the Gen Xers, that's those born between 1995 and 2015, are the most stressed generation in recent history. Now, I don't know how you measure generation to generation, because I know some of you are going, well, they ain't got nothing on me. Okay, and, and that's not a point to say that this generation is more stressed than the others, but I do know that a number of the teachers 
that I've spoken to have said, those, especially those who have taught for a great number of years, that they see this rise in the anxiety and the stress, whether it's for any number of reasons, the, the tensions around financial struggles and family struggles and social media struggles. But, but what I do know is this, that we all, we all face those moments. We all face those uh, crises and struggles in our lives. So, so how do we begin to, to stand on faith in, in the midst of this? How do we begin to embody the principles that allow us to at least grow in a faith that begins to transcend the, the dominant emotion of worry and anxiety? And to talk about that this morning, or to look a little bit deeper, I want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. This portion of Scripture both before and after, are focused on the prophet Elijah. Now, you may or may not be familiar with Elijah's story and his call. But the focus and the, the, the responsibility and the challenge of his ministry, of his call, was, and the greatest threat, was that he confronted and spoke truth to a very wicked king. And that king was Ahab. And he speaks truth and he confronts Ahab in his sin. Ahab hates him for it. Um, Kings and and people in authority often did not welcome prophets because rarely do prophets bring um, a word of congratulations and accommodation. Usually it was a word of, of... judgment and rebuke with the intention to hope that behaviors and practices change. That was not the case with Ahab. And so as part of the judgment of God, Elijah spoke the words that that a, a, a drought, a famine was coming. And for three years, there was a famine. And for three years, Ahab wanted Elijah dead. And he's got almost a bounty on his head. Yet in the midst of all of that, and I'm oversimplifying his life, but in the midst of all that, God repeatedly provided and protected Elijah. He provided food to sustain him through ravens. He, he provided a, a widow and her son to, to take him in. And, and if you know that story, they were down to their last um, bit of, of, of provisions to make bread. And yet the jar never ran empty. There was always enough. And when the widow's son died, God worked through Elijah to resurrect, to bring life from death. And and then this kind of pinnacle of Elijah's ministry in his life is he, one man, in in the name of of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, stands toe-to-toe with 850 false prophets of Baal. 850 to 1, and God demonstrates God's power. And, and, and it doesn't end well for 850 prophets. But Elijah stands tall in his faithfulness and God's promises and God's deliverance. And all of this happens over these three years. God shows up over and over again. And that is important because of where we come in 1 Kings chapter 19. Because while Elijah was brave and courageous and faithful in the face of 850 men, he cowered in the face of one wicked woman. And that wicked woman was Ahab's wife, Jezebel. And if Ahab was bad, 
Jezebel was worse. In fact, she made Ahab look like Mr. Rogers. She was wicked. And she steps in and says, I will do what the king couldn't. I'm going to have this prophet's head. And in a moment, the walls crash in on Elijah. And in a moment, in spite of all of these remarkable things God has done, fear and anxiety overwhelm him. And he goes on the run. And that's where we pick up the story of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. This is what we read here. It said, Elijah was afraid. And again, of this woman. It just it blows my mind, the courage. He had, this is right on the heels of, what he is just, of this remarkable deliverance of God in the face of 850 false prophets. But it says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. I can't take any more. That was his prayer. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. That's where we'll stop. Now, I want you to, to catch the depth of his despair and the conflict between his reality and what he's praying for because he's on the run. He is afraid. He is overcome by anxiety and fear because he is afraid that Jezebel is going to kill him. That's his fear. He's afraid Jezebel's going to kill him. And then what does he pray for? God, kill me. Kill me. He is, it, it's all caving in. And we see in these few verses, I believe some of the mistakes that Elijah makes. And I, and I, and I want to lift them up, not because we, we have any desire to stand here and cast judgment upon Elijah's life. Because he was a great man of faith. But we can learn from both the moments of great faith and faithfulness, as well as the moments of struggle and unfaithfulness. Because we have those things. And the reason that we look at this is because I think some of the mistakes that Elijah makes are some of the mistakes we make when we feel the walls start to, to close in, when, when the, the ebb and flow of life is a little overwhelming for us, or we're in the moments that we feel overwhelmed. We do some of these things. The first thing that it tells us that Elijah did is he ran. He ran. It's about 100 miles from where he was to Beersheba, four marathons. How much did you run yesterday? Thirteen and a half? Okay, so imagine doing that eight times. I had to think. I don't like to have to think up here. Um, you know, he, yeah, he, uh, he runs. He, he flees, which is a natural instinct. It, it makes sense to us. But I think that's the mistake a lot of us make. And I think it happens in two ways. I think sometimes what happens is we run too hard. And what I mean by that is that we find ourselves... I find that, that in, in my life, most often, the times when I start to feel the weight of the anxiety and the worry are the times when I've been going and going and going the hardest. The times when I've been running 
and not resting. You know, God calls us to rest. The, the Sabbath is God's design because we need to rest. We rest in the Lord. But, but so often when, when I start to feel the, the walls, came, the fatigue is starting to take over. I've been busy. And a lot of times it's good stuff. It's not bad, it's not, but it's the things that God's called me to do. Or I, I, God, this is what you've called me to do. And you're going and you're going and you're going and you're going. And sometimes we run ourselves right into the fatigue that allows the anxiety and the fear to start to overwhelm. When I get fatigued, I get a little, I don't, I don't want to over, I don't want to make this too dramatic, but I start to get darker. Things feel heavier. Burdens feel heavier. And it's because I haven't rested. I haven't found rest and rhythm in life. And I think that's one of the mistakes that we make sometimes. The other way that we run is we run from the issues that we face. Rather than standing in the face of it and dealing with it, we try to run from it. And I, again, am guilty of this. I've told you before, the joke is that I know when I'm starting to get a little overcome by anxiety and worry. My tell is that I start fantasizing about winning the lottery. I've said that to you. And which is weird because I don't buy lottery tickets. Go figure out how that's going to happen. But the reason is, why do I do that? Because I know in my head what becomes is it becomes a, a whole um, story that I play out. I, I would have more money than I'd ever need so that Tony and I can move to some island and live off the grid, right? Because then I can, I'll tell the kids where I am. Other than that, no one gets to know. It's not, well, I'll, let's talk later. Maybe we can try. To, um, but but here's, what, here's what I know. It's not about the wealth, it's about the fact that in my mind, I'm creating scenarios that I can get away from whatever it is that I'm, that I'm facing. I wouldn't have to deal with it. I wouldn't have to deal with them. I wouldn't have to deal with that. I could just run away. And that's the way it plays out. And, and both of those don't solve our problems, don't strengthen us, don't, don't honor God. We do them. But, but God calls us to difference. So, so Elijah runs, we run. The second thing he does is um, he shut people out. He shut people out. Notice this. He leaves his servant behind. It's, it's, a, it's an easy phrase to kind of overlook. But his servant was his companion. It was his, his friend. It was his traveling partner. And says that he leaves him behind. He isolates for some of us, we do that. When, when life gets hard, when the struggles start to, start to pile up, when the weight gets heavy, we isolate. We don't invite others in. We don't share. We, we carry the burden alone. And, and hear me say, God never intended you to carry your burdens alone. That's, that's why church, or one of the whys between who God's called us to be, we become both the strength for each other, and sometimes we become strengthened by one another. And, and that is one of the reasons that in this past year, and, and, I, and I give so much credit to, to Don Karras, who's, who has spearheaded this, we've worked so hard to begin to launch more life groups, small groups, and, and small groups or, or Bible studies that we have, or Sunday school groups, however they manifest. It is not because we want you solely to know the Bible better. That's a, that is a good blessing, and that's part of a call to be, to be in the Scriptures and be shaped and informed by the Scriptures. But that is, we're not just trying to intellectually 
create smarter Christians. What we believe God wants us to do is create connected Christians. Shared life together. You know, I'm looking at Jim with the, with the men's group that just started this week. That's part of the, the heart of that, that men connect to each other. And, and, and that's what all the small, we all need that because we become each other's strength. And we help in these burdens. Elijah shuts himself off. We sometimes are guilty of shutting ourselves off. The third thing he does is he focuses on the negative. He focuses on the negative. He sees all that seems to be falling apart around him. His, his prayer, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He he. he he sees only the problem, not the presence of God. In fact, one of the, the things that, some, that I do fairly well in my own life, it's, it's a discipline that, was, that, was, um, that I've heard a number of people over the years speak, is that when you start to feel those moments, when you start to kind of focus on those moments, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to get that promotion. Um, my relationships are never going to be as healthy as I want to be. I'm never going to be financially secure. I'm never going to this. I'm never going to that. Whatever it is that starts to overwhelm us is to stop and step back and to do a spiritual blessings or a blessings inventory. It's to write down the ways God has blessed you. To write down the, the, the blessed relationships and provisions and the way God has shown up in your life. And it's not to say if you do that, then you won't feel the struggle and the burden of what, what is on your shoulders. But it begins to, to widen the perspective. It begins to take your eyes just off of what you want or what you hope for and begin to see what God has done. As Elijah focuses on the negative, and in doing that, and I think the most dangerous trap we, we fall into is Elijah forgot God. When he faced his fears, he forgot his God. A God who had over and over delivered and sustained and strengthened him. In the face of the anxiety, in the face of the worry, in the face of the fear... He forgot his very name. He forgot his name. His name is Elijah. Elijah, E-L, first two letters of his name. That is short for Elohim, God. And the back three letters, J-A-H, that is short for Yahweh. The Lord is God. My God is Yahweh. His very name is an affirmation of God, and if you if you just want to read into it, that middle the, the initial between the E and the L and the J and the H and the A between God and Yahweh is I. My God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. He forgot who he was, and he forgot even more importantly who God is, and so. He begins to give in to the fear and the worry. And it's very important in these moments to recognize how God responds. How God responds to this moment in Elijah's life. Because God does not criticize or condemn. God shows up and reassures. 
And I think that's important because we have those moments. The last thing I want to have happen at the end of this message or any of these messages is you walking out of here going, when I have those moments, God stands in judgment over me. Because that's not what God does. God invites us to be reminded of who we are and who he is. And that's what he does for Elijah. Because shortly after this takes place, it says we pick up a little bit later in 1 Kings, verse 11. And this may be the encounter that is familiar to you when you think about Elijah. But what it says is in verse 11, it says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for God is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went and stood out at the mouth of the cave. Three loud, undeniable Powerful experiences, earthquake, earthquake, wind, fire, earth, wind, and fire, and God's not in them. But God is in the gentle whisper. You think about that? Why the whisper? So often, we want God to show up in the unmistakable and the overwhelming ways. But you know who shouts? The devil shouts. That's who shouts. The devil shouts in your lives, you're not worthy. You don't deserve it. You're not valuable. You don't matter. This will never happen. Just give in. But so often, God whispers. Why? Because a whisper reminds us the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. If I am whispering to you, it means I am close. If I whisper and drop my voice, you have to lean in. If I turn this mic off right now and I start to speak softly, nobody hears me because you're not close enough. But God whispers and Elijah hears it. Why? Because God is affirming the truth. I am near. I have always been near. In every moment you've experienced, in every struggle you faced, in every fear that has gripped you, I have been near. It's the same voice that Jesus speaks, never will I leave you or forsake you. God is near. And if you hear anything today, hear me say to you in the moments, in fact, no, hear God say to you, In the moments of the anxiety, in the moments of the fear, in the moments when you feel the walls caving in, God is near. And that becomes the promise, the first of the promises that allows us to stand in the face of those storms and to live in to the practices that allow us to not allow worry to overwhelm and consume us. It is, it is fascinating to me that, that if you play out the whole of Elijah's life, you, you know that Elijah never died. When Elijah was with his protege, later in his life with his protege, protege, 
easy for me to say, protege Elisha, it says that a chariot of fire came and took him up to heaven. Elijah never died. Hear this. The one thing he was most afraid of never happened. Isn't that true? You ever find the fact that so often the things that we worry about the worst never happen? And sometimes they do. And sometimes we find out it's not nearly as bad as we expected it to be. Those are the two most dominant realities in my worry, that it either never happens or it's not nearly as bad as I was afraid it was going to be. And occasionally, you know what? It is. Occasionally in your life and in my life, it is every bit as bad as we feared. And it is in those moments that we allow God to remind us, I'm still here. I'm still here. I am with you. The Lord is near. God whispers that. Why? Because he's close. And he's always close if we hear. So how does Paul say? Rejoice in all things. Again, I say rejoice while he's chained up in prison. Why? Because the Lord is near. So don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry. Don't worry. But rather... Bring everything to God by prayer, petition, but with thanksgiving, by prayer and praise. And we'll talk about that, prayer and praise. By prayer and praise, submit your request to God and know that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will displace the fear and the worry that consumes you. The peace of God, the presence of God, will remove the dominant experience of fear and worry, it doesn't always mean that we won't experience fear and worry. But it no longer gets to be the foundation. God whispers, I am near. When you feel like you've had enough, enough is enough, open your ears, open your heart to hear the reassurance of the promise and the presence of God. I am near. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that promise and speak that into to our lives. We all need it. Different times, different places, to different degrees, but we all need to hear that, Lord, and help us. Not as a way to, to judge us in our moments of fear, but to strengthen us so that worry does not consume and that we can find faith and faithfulness even in the midst of the most challenging of our days. Lord, speak your words and help us to hear that whisper as you speak our names. This is our prayer. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.